right. Good morning, church family. All right. Listen, um, I want to dive right into what we have. So um, if you're new with us, my name is Spence. My parents taught me, introduce yourself when you meet somebody. My name is Spence. I'm the pastor here at Mercy. Um, Opening sermon illustration, how many of you, I assume everyone, um, had a lawn care business as a middle schooler growing up? Yeah, that's all at our Independence Campus, clearly, and I love you guys for it. Um, I, of course, had one growing up. Here's what happened. I was in seventh grade, and my grams, that's my mom's mom, she said, um, hey, if you come cut my yard, I will give you $25. What? <laughs> right? Had that moment. Are you serious? An hour's worth of work? cutting the grass, and then um, we called it weed eating. I don't know why, because it's just trimming them, right? But trimming the weeds, uh, and you'll get $25. So I did it, and a light bulb went off when she handed me that money, because I, re- I started to care about math for the first time, right? So I'm like, if I do this four times a week, it's a hun- that is a crisp Benjamin Franklin every week that I'm bringing home in seventh grade. So I got pretty excited, right? So I immediately went home. I went to dad. Dad, how much will you pay me to cut the grass? He said, what do you think this food and shelter is? Because Don Shelton was cold. So he said, instead, this is your training ground. You will learn here in the Ugoslaw. So I did, started learning, um, and then I figured it all out. And so I ended up with four yards that I was cutting every week. And it was awesome. But then the fall came and I started to add a couple of yards and something started happening. Like dad had helped me build a whole plan, right? And I had a a value statement, right? Shelton Lawn Care, we do good work for good prices. Oh, it just inspires you, just lifts you up, right? You are ready for our business. So we got pretty excited about it, but, um, but I was cutting four yards. And then as fall came, leaves started falling and I added two yards, a couple things started happening. I started slipping, right? I missed a couple of appointments to cut yards because, you know, we didn't have Uber. I had to be like, dad, can you take me over to this place, right? So I did what any oldest brother would do. I hired my younger brother and I told him, I will pay you a dollar for every hour that you work, right? And so if you go rake this yard that has all these giant oak trees, you will get like $5 today, right? And he did. And I didn't really know how much I was taking advantage of him. And he had no clue, so it's, it's fine. Um, <laughs> so we kept going, right? Workload increased, and something happened that I did not, this is part of what I did not like. I started to have to work on my work. Does that make sense? Like, instead of just doing the work and doing the six yards and making the money. I actually had to start working on it. I had to set up schedules. I had to go get gas. I had to pay this employee who wanted a dollar for every single hour that he worked, right? It got a lot harder and things started slipping because as anybody will tell you that runs any organization of any time, if it starts growing any amount uh, at all, you're going to have to start working on it. Otherwise, it will slip, right? The Shelton Long Care Service did good work for good prices. That meant I had to do good work because I wasn't ready to change my prices. Listen, let me jump to the connection for today. The church is no exception to this rule. The only difference is if we believe what God has to say in his scriptures that we call God's holy word, if we believe that what he has to say about it, which is he says it is his bride, It's his most valued possession in all the earth. Well, then there is a whole lot more at stake for how we care for God's church than there is how we care for even something as sacred as a middle school lawn care business. 
It's incredibly important. Here's what we're going to see. We're continuing in walking through the book of Acts. If you're new with us, um, we're walking through the book of Acts together in a series we're calling You Are Sent. Uh, We're going to hit Acts chapter 6, only seven verses, the first seven verses today. And what we're going to see is the church experience and encounter its first growing pains. You see, here's what's happening. Man, this church was preaching this vibrant, powerful message of love and grace. And man, people were drawn to it, this powerful message. But look, even more amazing, when people were drawn to it, what they experienced the closer they got was this powerful community that put love and grace on display to one another. They were impacted not just by what they heard, their lives were transformed by the news of the gospel, but then they got close to the people preaching it and they started experiencing tangible love and grace with one another. The church was preaching a gospel that it was practicing as well. And these are the two ministries of the local church they were doing together. And what you're going to see today is that this growth that it experiences starts to threaten to, to compromise both the preaching of the word, the ministry of the word, and how they're meeting needs for one another. But through this, what's going to come out is a beautiful picture of what the church could be. And what you're going to see is in this beautiful community that God is building in Acts 6, he's inviting you and I into it again today. Into not just, not a business, not an audience, not an event. He's inviting into you, in, you into a community of grace. And we're gonna see that he's actually made you for it. So he's not even just inviting you into it. He's actually calling you home calling you to what you were made for and calling you into a group of people who have an urgent message of love and grace. It has to get out to more people. It's this ever-growing family that serves one another in a radical way unlike anything else in the known world. The headline for our sermon today, um, kind of the title, whatever, if you will, is How Deacons Saved the Church. How Deacons Saved the Church. And this is one of those things that I got to stop being surprised when um, I study through Scripture and am so surprised by how incredibly timely a message is for us, like a passage of Scripture. I don't know why. I mean, it's God's Word. I should not be surprised by that. But the more I got into this week, I was like, this is exactly what we need right now because I see a lot of us in what we see here, okay? So we're going to get going. I'm going to go through these uh, seven verses together, and then I'm going to take a brief excursion. We're going to take a brief excursion together to talk about what a deacon is, And that's going to kind of be not just an excursion, but a bridge into what are we supposed to do as the church? How are we to respond to holding in a good, holy tension, both the proclamation of the word and the demonstration of the word and how we care for one another? All right. All right. Here we go. Verse one. Everybody ready? Yeah, we're ready. You guys are all the, oh, I'm not going to make a Panthers comment. Um, Go Panthers. I'm a fan. All right, here we go. Verse one, in those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So there's a situation, catch you up, the church is growing, and there arose a complaint? You mean to tell me a young, vibrant, growing church who is being faithful to what God has called it to do can have problems? Yes! Two problems, really, in this. 
The first one's the obvious one that we're all seeing, growing pains, right? It's reached this critical moment where if it doesn't change how it operates, it's no longer going to be the distinctive body of people that separated itself from the rest of the world, right? It's going to die on the hill of good intentions if something doesn't change. And it's got to happen fast because look, Acts 4, this is who the church was up to this point, right? You remember Acts 4 covered a couple weeks ago? There was not a needy person among them because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at whose feet? At the apostles' feet. These are the guys doing it. The apostles then distributed to each person as any had need. You bring the money to the apostles, they distribute it out. And widows were certainly among those in need, because in this culture, women spent most of their lives in households belonging either to their fathers or their husbands. They didn't control a lot of property, didn't have a lot of economic opportunity. So when widowed, they were vulnerable vulnerable to social and economic, um, uh, just preying on by, by the general community. And the church had this gospel message that said, all people, all people are made in the image of God, and God has not left anyone in need. He's provided salvation for everyone in Christ, proclamation of the word. He's provided in abundance. And then so God's church should be the demonstration of that in reality, which means God's church provides for every single need of those who believe, who are in the church. So God's church should be a place where, again, everybody's needs are met. It became this radical community where people loosen their grip. So we said last week, they loosened their grip on their stuff, willing to give it to whoever had need because they were tightening their grip on God's people, right? Because they loved what God loves. And God's most prized possession was his church. It was a calling. You got, you got to hear this. This was a calling on the church to provide for needs. And it's the ministry of the word grew, which is a good ministry, the ministry of providing for needs was slipping. But that's not all that's happening. Let me show you verse one again. I wanna highlight something for you. Look at who's complaining. Look at the, the nature of the complaint. There arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews. The church is also experiencing a cultural conflict here. The Hellenistic Jews are Greeks who converted to Judaism and are now followers of Christ. And they are, at this point, the minority culture. All right, so it's not just that church growth stretch capacity thin, it's that Christians and the majority are overlooking the needs of Christians in the minority. And this is completely counter to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The important, powerful reality of the gospel is that it unites those peoples that were once divided. Christ broke down, Ephesians 2 tells us, the dividing wall of hostility that existed between cultures. But what we're seeing here is that practicing cultural equality is different than talking about it. And thankfully, our church here in Acts 6 serves as a great model for how they go forward because they don't dismiss the concerns when they come up. They take action. Verse 2, the 12, that's the apostles, summoned the whole company of the disciples, got the church together, and said it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. The ones charged with shepherding God's church, they get everybody together, and they're gonna address this problem. Now, remember, up to this point, a whole lot of growth, very little structure, right? So they say, look, it wouldn't be right for us, this is the apostles, to say to wait on tables. That word wait right there is, is serve is another way you can say that. The, the Greek is diakoneo. Now, I only tell you the Greek when it's gonna matter when we come back to it, okay? So this is important, diakoneo, all right? So we're gonna come back to that. It means serving tables, it wouldn't be right. It means it would go against God's commissioning on their lives to do it. That's powerful. 
The problem has to be solved. This problem, because we're not meeting needs, like we said we're going to, has to be solved, but we would be disobedient to God if we were the ones to do it. That's what, that's what they're saying. They address it from calling. It's not that it's, you got to hear this, it's not that it's beneath them. They're not divas. They're called by God. And so the answer to meeting the growing needs of the church, the answer to resolving a very important moment and the cultural tension that's happening here cannot be done by the apostles because they have to preach the word. And then get this, they have to preach the word, which means more people are gonna come into it, which means these tensions are only gonna continue to mount and these problems are only gonna continue to grow. You feel that? All right, so here's what they do. Verse three, brothers and sisters, Select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Pick seven gods to do it and look at the requirements. Good reputation, full of the spirit, wisdom. Pick seven who carry, you see what they're saying here, who carry the aroma of Christ with them the fullness of the spirit with them. The fruit is evident with them. They've shown it through the way that they've interacted with you, through the wisdom and their decision. What they're saying is this duty right here, diakoneo, serving the needs of the people, it's a big deal. So you better put our best people on it because they'll be the ones serving our needs. They'll be the ones leading the way. If the apostles are leading the way in preaching the word, the ministry of the word, they're the ones leading the way and us making good on who God has called us to be, which is meeting the needs, demonstrating the grace and love of Christ through how we meet one another's needs. So they need to be quality people. Well, verse five, this proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen. We're gonna hear all about him next week. A man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Pumbaa, Parmenas. I'm sorry. No, that's um, Parmenas and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. And everybody, so everybody pulls these people together and say, let's go. Now, here, this is actually a really cool thing about these names, um, a little extra for you. Um, almost all these names are Hellenistic, which means they're Greek. And we know for certain, at least Nicholas, who was a convert in Antioch, was from the cultural minority, but it's likely that most of these guys were actually from the cultural minority. And that has a, uh, something that I love in that is they're saying, we're gonna address this problem by bringing people from um, culture, different cultures into the leadership of the church, which is beautiful and a hope that I have for us as well. Um, but he said, look, this, they appoint them to be diakoneoi, right? We're gonna now pull these guys in and we're gonna make them, and every language has had to figure out how do we translate this word? Because it's a word that scripture has kind of come up with, right? So how do we translate this word? And so in English, we translate that word deacons, the deacons, a servant of Christ who serves the needs of the body of Christ. All right, verse six, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. This is commissioning. You notice if you're around mercy at any length of time, we commission people quite often around here. Uh, what the apostles are doing in laying their hands on them is affirming God's calling on them and imparting God's blessing on them to send them out to the task that God has clearly called them for. Does that make sense? All right, so verse seven, the word of God spread. I love how this thing closes. The word of God spread. That's the same way it opened, right? The disciples in Jerusalem greatly increased in number. That's the same thing it was saying in verse one. And a large, this little Luke gives us, a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. A group of religious and social leaders in the city got saved. Look, 
Verse one, they're increasing in number. Verse seven, they're increasing in number. Here's what Luke wants you to see. The appointment of deacons was mission critical. It wasn't the deacons were appointed and people stopped complaining. No, it's that the deacons were appointed and city council got saved, right? The deacons stepped in at a critical moment in the life of the church and kept the ministry of the word flourishing and the ministry of deeds, the ministry of care flourishing, kept the church true to who it's supposed to be, God's proclamation and demonstration community. Now, coming out of this, let me do those two things. Let me, let me take us on a little excursion to talk about, since we brought up deacons, this is a really big role in scripture and a big role in church. And I want to talk about that for a second and how it works itself out at Mercy Church. And then that'll bring us to how this passage serves as a model for us in the days ahead. Okay, so first, excursion time. Let's talk about deacons, all right? Maybe a couple of frequently asked questions would be a good way to lay this out. First thing, obvious, what does a deacon do? What does a deacon do? There are many spiritual giftings in the church. You hang around um, church long enough, you're going to hear us teach through these. Many spiritual giftings. We see a few different lists in the New Testament, which only reinforces there are a vast array and very important, every single follower of Christ has a gifting that they've been wired up by God to display his glory through how they serve the church. But there are only two offices given to the church, two official roles that need to be filled in order for the church to thrive. And we're seeing those on display here. There are elders who are the shepherd leaders of the church who minister the word. And there are deacons, the servant leaders of the church who minister to the needs. Here's what a deacon does. This is kind of a working definition for you. Um, so take it for what it is, write it down. I think it's a good way to, to get us started. A deacon is a servant of Christ. We see that in the character with which the apostles say, hey, this is the kind of person you want, right? A servant of Christ who demonstrates the character of Christ, who follows the wisdom of Christ, is looking at what the character of their life is, and then who serves the needs of the body of Christ, right? They demonstrate the character of Christ, follow the wisdom of Christ, and serve the needs of the body of Christ. A deacon is not this... It's going to sound super obvious if you're newer to church, okay? A deacon is not an elder, all right? These are separate roles. That'd be double work. A deacon serves physical needs, so the elders can, to, can devote themselves to the things that we see in Acts 6 that the apostles were doing, right? Ministry of the word and prayer. Look, maybe you come, and I say that because maybe you come from a background where um, the church you may have grown up in labeled um, deacons as something that would more functionally be elders, and that's bad for everyone. Elders should eld and deacons should deke. I, I don't like, they should do the, the thing, right? Do their things. Um, so I tell you here at Mercy, we currently have five deacons serving. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to present a few more for you to pray for and assess before we commission them out. Um, our members have access to our deacon hotline, and this team is awesome at praying for and meeting the needs of our people. They're super quick with it. And this is mission critical. Deacons serve the needs of the people while elders minister the word of God to the people and pray for the people. Deacon is not JV elder, all right? These are twin engines of a healthy church. Proclamation and provision, preaching and providing, gotta have both and God sets aside people for both. I'll give you a practical example just from right here at Mercy. The first, so we're four years old. First two, three years of Mercy, I was spending a lot of time trying to do this because I wanted mercy to be a church that cares. That is deep in my bones, y'all. We are not built to be an audience. We're to be God's demonstration community. And I have deep convictions that the church should be radically generous with how it cares for one another, right? And that doing this is a powerful proclamation of God's love. 
Here's what was happening. I was up till 2 to 3 a.m. every single week writing sermons, and 3 a.m. in the kitchen is not where great sermon content is crafted and cultivated, okay? You go back the next day, what was I saying? That's nonsense, you know? Um, ministry of the Word was slipping, and it wasn't that I was doing both of them well. <laughs> it's that needs and ministry of the Word, they were both slipping. I was trying to do something I wasn't called to do. I'm not created for it, so I had to put my pride down, and we had to search for deacons among us. Not surprising, those are five of my favorite people at Mercy Church now. Um, because it's not because, listen, this is important. It's not because they do the work I don't want to do. I value it deeply, right? But they meet, they meet needs. I still care for the needs of people in my own life and try to care for others' needs and, uh, along the way. And they still minister God's word to people in their lives, still teach people God's word. But for the overall needs of the church, they do something that I'm not called to do and our other elders are not called to do, right? And it's humbling and it's powerful to watch the way that this deacon team serves people. People ask from time to time, uh, and it's a question whether they verbalize it too much or they're kind of asking it behind questions they're asking when they're new at a church. Why should I join? Why should I be a member of a local church? The deacons provide a powerful, tangible example of why, because they demonstrate how we are to care one another. And we have a great, caring community here in our church. Uh, the next question what qualifies someone to serve the role of deacon? So if that's that first one, what qualifies someone to serve the role? When you look at qualifications here and in 1 Timothy 3, what you see time and again are character, character requirements, right? The church may have members who are strong administratively, members who are great at meeting needs, but that gifting isn't what qualifies someone to the office of deacon. It's about character. I'm going to show you 1 Timothy 3. This is the longest stretch of text that we have that talks about deacons. So I'm going to read about five verses to you, okay? It says, deacons likewise should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith. I love how that's another sermon, but it's such a good way to describe the gospel. With a clear conscience, they must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Look, what I want you to see in all that is a whole lot of character requirements, right? They are model Christ-like believers who show a pattern of serving others faithfully before they're ever assigned the role and called into it, right? And maybe to sum this all up, a deacon's qualification is based on character and not ability, right? If you're taking notes, you're like, this is a big, important thing for God's church. It's all about character, not ability. Now, our third question might feel like a little bit of a, um, a rabbit trail, a tangent, but it's one that's really important for our day. So I want to address this one for just a minute. And I want to be clear on it for us as a church. And that's the question, can women serve as deacons? Now, let me say something very important before I answer the question that I've now brought up. Our elders spent a lot of time praying and studying through this question before we installed deacons. That's just part of what the church does. Just like we see in Acts 6, we came to a decision. We did so humbly because we know um, plenty of godly, scripture-loving, Christ-exalting churches that fall down on different sides of this question and still bring glory to God in their churches. 
There are three passages of scripture that are important in this study to answer this question. The first one is Acts 6 that we're covering today. That's why I'm bringing it up. They choose seven men. And it's what's happening here is they're describing the beginnings of the role as they describe the beginnings of the church. And the apostle Paul goes back in other texts in the New Testament and begins to build order into the church where there wasn't order before. What we're seeing in Acts 6 is more descriptive of how the role began than prescriptive of what's supposed to happen um, all the time. But it does say men. So we do have to take some sort of a cue from that, but we take our lead on deacons from another spot. Well, then our next text, and you're going to see, man, it's tough in all of these, is the one I just read you, 1 Timothy 3, specifically verse 11. Depending on the translation that you might have in front of you, or if you pull up your Bible app and start flipping through different translations, the word that I translated or that I said, the CSB translated in verse 11 as wives, gets translated all kinds of different ways. All right, the Greek word is gunekos. The CSB that we read here, Christian Standard Bible, translates wives. The ESV says their wives, even though the pronoun there isn't there. <laughs> um, the NIV says women, but then the NIV puts a footnote that is the worst footnote ever in the history of the Bible. Should anybody in the NIV like group that can change this, please address it, okay? Uh, it says, it says um, women, then it says possibly wives or women as deacons. Well, thank you for resolving nothing with your footnote, right? But it keeps going on and on if I were to keep showing you different translations. Look, it can be translated either way. Women, as in women deacons, or wives, as in wives of male deacons. As we read the rest of the verse and the surrounding verses, we see the character of a servant leader that all Christians are called towards, and some in the church family deacons are commissioned to lead out in. But then I do recognize you go to verse 12, and you're going to see deacons are to be husbands of one wife. There's a, a bunch of different... A bunch of different views on this. Um, Romans 16.1 is the other one that you would go to, and I'll just briefly say it's about a female deacon named Phoebe, who's called a deacon by Paul at the church at Centria. She's recognized for the type of service and character congruent with the role of deacon Paul puts forward in 1 Timothy. All right, all of that little Bible excursion for you, what I want you to see is this comes down to an interpretation decision and we believe, again, you can be on both sides of it. We believe, as Mercy Church, that God's word affirms men and women who meet the character qualifications are both able to serve as deacons in the church. We believe the scripture is much clearer when it comes to the office of elder, and we, we believe that the role of elder is reserved for men, and so men serve in that role here at Mercy. Now, I'll tell you what I love about our church is that we have brothers and sisters who have different opinions on this, but because it is such a, a tough interpretation question, and because we're all trying to be faithful to Scripture and not to the winds of culture, we have people who believe differently who are fully committed members of Mercy Church. It's an open-handed issue and one we will trust that God will bless our submission to Him in. Now listen, if you're like, that was a whole lot that seemed like very insider talk, I hope what you will take from that is that we just care a lot to try and be faithful to what God's word has to say. And we wanna do our level best as a church to honor that because we think honoring that will bring about flourishing for God's church, which will bring about your flourishing as we minister the word and as we care for one another, okay? Now, let me, I said that that was a bridge to seeing the beautiful picture of the church and what it could be in your role in it. So we gotta see these two interdependent ministries happening at the same time. You can't have one without the other. Both are in view over here in Acts 6, and every single person who truly comes to believe the gospel 
It's going to have the same thing happen with them. They're going to develop a deep love for both God's people and God's word. And it's going to express itself. That love is going to express itself in caring for people's needs and worshiping God and devoting themselves to God's word. But look, while this is what every individual Christian is compelled to, it's also what every group of Christians is compelled to, every church. And what we're seeing in Acts 6 is when the church grows, strain is put on these two ministries. After all, I mean, you think about these two. The first is God's mandate to the church to make disciples of all nations, right? In ministering the word, we see the church growing. We see God saying, go make disciples of all nations in Matthew 28. This is a mandate, right? We have been given a mandate from God that we are his plan A for taking the gospel to all people. People are God's plan A for reaching other people. And all people means all people, right? Scripture's filled with passages like Romans 10. How will they hear unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? The Old Testament foreshadows a day of salvation for all peoples of the earth. The gospel announces its arrival. The book of Acts shows it going to every single people group. Letters are written to all over the known world. And what do you have in Revelation? You have people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around the throne. And God says, I'm sending you out with that. That's God's mandate make disciples of all nations. But then again, isn't a disciple one who loves God and loves other people? Isn't the love of God for us at the very core of the message that we proclaim? Matthew 22, the Pharisees say, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. By this, the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. The Gospels and the New Testaments are filled with one another commands, love, serve, care, pray, meet needs together, fight sin together. The letters are written to the church. So if the church is going to be the church, it must set the standard in radical care and generosity towards one another. Our energy has to go there. Otherwise, what are we winning people into? I said, this is very personal to me. For 10 years before planting Mercy, I served as a community groups pastor in a fast-growing church. So here's how like every Monday would go in the office, okay? Um, during some of those seasons of rapid growth, we would come in, everybody gathers together, like, what an awesome weekend. We had record attendance, which is great because, you know, the word's going out and more people are hearing it. But then there'd be Spence over in the corner in the fetal position, all right? Sucking my thumb because I'm like, yeah, but all those people got problems too. We already got a lot of problems in the church and we got to meet all those needs and care for all those. And now we got more people got to meet their problems, got to make disciples out of them too, Stop cheering, start praying. You know, that'd be my kind of call back to him because God's mandate to the church is also to love one another. But then again, one of the primary acts of love we offer one another is proclaiming God's truth to one another, isn't it? I mean, they were devoted to the ministry of the word. That's the ministry of God's word to believers as well, right? Feeding uh, believers so they can grow right? And be encountered about, they encounter the truths of God and are changed by it. See, sometimes in the church, y'all, we feel like we have to bend our ministry to one over the other. And maybe you feel that. Maybe it, whether it's through a God-given passion or through a preference, maybe you feel that one should be given priority over the other. But what I think Acts 6 is showing us is if proclamation of God's word and ministry of the needs of God's people are both mandates from God, they can't be in conflict with one another. In fact, it's the opposite. The ministry of the word explains the motivation for the love people experience from Christians. And the ministry of meeting needs validates the message being proclaimed. 
So how does the church faithfully minister the word and care for one another's needs? I mean, look, if proclamation comes without demonstration, the church will be seen as hypocrites, preaching a gospel that they don't actually practice. Doesn't change anything. If demonstration comes without proclamation, the church will be nothing more than a social welfare group. When you connect meeting needs to the counsel of God's word, it's like connecting electricity to a light bulb, man. It just shines on who God is and what he's done for you. So how do we do both? How do we honor the Lord with what he's called us to do with these two ministries the church is to be about? The first should not surprise you. Um, I'm going to give you three sort of landing the plane. Here's how you get involved in these two things that God has called every believer to be a part of. The first is rehearse the gospel daily yourself. I can't say this enough. If we give ourselves, man, if we don't give ourselves to desperately knowing God, to confessing sin, to believing God's love is enough for us, and to praying for one another. Everything else we do is going to be empty. We'll try and set up a church, but everything else we do is really going to be empty. Because while elders are charged with teaching God's word, we are called together. Look, when we get here on the weekend, what we're doing is we're bringing grace from where we have met with God throughout the week, from where we have seen God work, and we're bringing that grace in here together, and we're celebrating it in here together encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. That's why, this, I mean, I know we call them worship services, but it's like a celebration of what God has done because there's some of us that are coming in here and they're struggling, right? And I hope you hear from God's word and you receive the hope that God offers you, but it might be that you hear the voice of someone singing beside you or it might be someone turning to you and just telling you what they learned from God over the course of this week that lifts your soul, that breathes life into your soul when you desperately needed it. That's what we do. But that's got to be an overflow of you rehearsing God's love for you and spending time in God's word. It's every day praying, God, thank you for a grace I didn't deserve and couldn't earn. The second thing the church does is what we talked about today, appoint deacons and elders and then support them. I hope one of the things you're seeing today is how important it is to be a part of a local church that has these two offices. We'll have another sermon on elders one day, but this is, it's massive. God calls you to commit to a local church with elders and deacons, elders who will minister God's word to you and deacons who will help meet your needs. And as members, we need to support both of these offices as they're doing what they're called to do. Well, you may ask, what about all the other ministry needs of the local church and what it's called to do? Great. That's how I'm going to land is answering that question. Last one. We got to unleash every member to use their giftings. Every single member. The church having two offices doesn't mean these are the people, only people God is using. Instead, he calls the church a body. That's one of the metaphors in scripture and says everybody has a part. Everybody is a part of the body. And that part is based on how God has gifted you, not if he's gifted you, but how he's gifted you. And a huge part of our ministry, one of the biggest things that elders are charged to do, according to Ephesians 4, is equip you for the ministry God has called you to. All right, I'm not sure what your gifting is, but I know your gifting is not sitting and consuming. All right, you weren't created to just sit and receive. You were created to take what God is giving you and to serve God's people and show off God's glory through some manner or way that he has wired you up for. I haven't thought through this illustration well, but this, I've been watering my yard a whole lot because until like five minutes ago, it hasn't rained in like two months, okay? So anyways, I've been watering God's yard. Or God's yard, look at me. I've been watering the yard. All right, so look. <laughs> I am, this is how you know I haven't thought through this at all. All right, so I got a hose, right? I actually have four of them right now. And so I got this hose, 
hook it up, got a nozzle, went to Lowe's, bought a nozzle because I didn't have one of those. You know, it's got the handle with pressure. You know, you put it. All right. So in order for the water to go out into the yard, I have to turn on the faucet. Hose has to be connected. But I still have to, right? If I don't, you know, squeeze the thing, then the water is not going to come out, right? I feel like a lot of times as the church, we receive from God as individual Christians. We receive from God, the faucet's turned on. We receive, we receive, we receive. The hose is filled up and then we just sit there and the grass goes dry. It's like, all we have to do is use the gifting that God has given us. And what we will receive is one another will receive the grace of God that he offers us through however you are wired up, however the works out for you. I don't know. Again, I'm, this illustration is very fresh with me coming up in my mind right now. But you get the point I'm saying is that we're not just meant to sit and consume. We're meant to take what God offers us in his word and then use that through how he has wired us to bring about his glory through ministering grace to one another's needs. If you are a member of our church and not actively serving the body in some way, it's not just that you're missing out and you are, but we are all also missing out because God has made you a part of this whole thing. Right? Maybe this will help. I've heard it said that what is your spiritual gifting? If you're like, okay, awesome. What is it? I've heard it said the best way to maybe begin to think about it is where your passion, the thing that you get passionate about, and your um, skill set, experience, and then where there is a need. Think of those like the three circles in a Venn diagram. And where all those kind of line up, where there's something you're passionate about, something that you are um, good at, that others say, hey, you're really good at this. And then where there's a need in the local body, where all those line up might be a good starting spot for where you are gifted. But jump in and serve somewhere and let's figure it out. What I know is that God loves this church and he has made it a beautiful proclamation and demonstration community. And he's made room for you to be a part of it. In fact, he's calling you home into it to be a part of it because others are going to see the love of Christ for the first time through how you begin to use the giftings God has given you to display his glory in our day. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is so kind to us that it's not abstract, it's concrete. It gives us handles for how we are to go about um, loving and caring uh, for one another and how we are to go about proclaiming your word. I thank you for uh, this church family that is seeking to honor you. God, would you bless, would you bless this church? God, protect it from the enemy. And I pray instead that this church would, would be a testimony to our community, to the Charlotte area, by how we proclaim God's word with all boldness. And as they get closer, as people get closer, God, would they, would they encounter the love and grace of Christ through how we serve one another's needs? God, we need your grace to do that. We love you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.